Good morning. This is machine learning. Um, today I'm going to do a talk on a, a hidden order, and this is a, a book uh, that was written um, that I found fairly interesting about financial analysis. So I'm starting to do uh, time series analysis and customer segmentation and marketing analysis. Uh, and training on uh, data camp and uh, one thing that I've found is is that there is a lot of preparation that has to go into the infrastructure before you can start analyzing uh, data from a machine learning perspective to um, find either groupings of customers or groupings of data and uh, trying to find trend. So this hidden order I liked because there were some certain um, principles of behavior, which that's what you're trying to identify is uh, behaviors uh, that people follow in the data that can lead to actions. And so I like this hidden order because it, uh, um, it uh, has uh, quite a few principles of behavior that um, have been studied at a, at, a, at a macro level. Economics is based on the assumption that people have reasonably simple objectives and choose the correct means to achieve them. I like that statement because it, um, uh, it kind of has an Occam Razor's principle is that the, if people are making simple assumptions, they're gonna follow the path of least resistance. Um, not to say that the 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 solutions are not complex because they can be very complex in terms of their processes, but he he says that um, they are reasonably simple objectives, and so looking for something that's very um, non simple would could be a, an exercise in futility. Maybe the the um, underlying principle is look for simple objectives. So what would be some simple objectives about economics? Um, income has to exceed expenditures, high taxation uh, uh, slows growth, high debt slows growth. These are some, uh, maybe some simple objectives are to increase the number of customers, uh, increase the number of purchases, increase volume. Those are, those are some simple uh, things that when you're analyzing customer behavior, uh, look at frequency, recency, and the monetary value that the customer is offering. Uh, so those are some simple objectives. What matters is not the behavior of one individual, but the sum behavior of many. If irrational behavior is random, it affects may average out. You only control you, not the whole group. Uh, that's uh was a really enlightening statement because um then you could you if you're looking at uh outliers or um in the group in the, in the general group let's say uh like if you were using a support vector machine and you had your boundaries and then you noticed that there were certain outliers uh, you wouldn't want to overfit your model uh, to those outliers. You want to generalize, and so you would change uh, work on getting the co changing the coefficients and the y-intercepts so that you could maximize um, the general trend or the general 
groupings or classifications of the group, and then that would help you then become uh, better at generalizing. And through this generalizing, uh, you then you, let's say that there were a certain uh, cases where there might might have been. I don't know if it would be necessarily irrational behavior on the individual's part, but it would have been. Uh, unusual to the group's behavior, then you uh, it would uh, play less of an effect. So we do see that in machine learning with support vector machines and uh, logistic regression, and so that, I found that interesting. We are often dealing not dealing with a random set of people, but with the people selected for a particular role, and uh, th that's also a very interesting statement. Um, one of the things, well, if your model, data model, isn't uh, correctly or, or is accurate, um, it's not making the predicted predictions with the uh, new data, is to gather more data. But his statement here, we are often not often dealing not with a random set of people, but with the people selected for a particular role, and. Um, so the studies might not, if you were doing a study on uh, breathing disorders, you probably wouldn't be studying, uh, you'd have people that were in that study group that probably had sleeping disorders. And then taking a group that don't have sleeping disorders randomly probably w um, would not be part of that study. Since businesses that lose money eventually shut down, the assumption of rational profit maximization is a good way to predict and explain the behavior of firms. Investors that bet wrong soon have no money to invest. Investors who bet right have an increased amount of money to invest. During 2008, we saw a lot of the liquidation that started. Uh, by 2011, the Great Depression of 2011 had started where companies were forced to liquidate their bad investments. Uh, one of the worst things that happened was instead of letting uh, some of the banks that were or had bad investments fail, there was the TARP bailout, and that allowed the, s several of the banks to sell off their mortgage-backed securities and then basically rebuy them back at a discount. Um, and, uh, and so that fiasco... Um, did not cause the liquidation of bad debts and the healing was delayed. So we've had now 10 years of delayed healing. An individual will invest more time into a decision that will pay off versus one that will not. It is rational to be ignorant when information costs more than it's worth. If you or your company will receive almost all the benefit from some proposed law, you may be willing to invest lots of money and effort to seeing the laws passed, and uh, you see that with definitely the uh, with uh, uh, PAC groups that they're investing lots of money to make sure that these laws are passed that are advantageous to their company. And when there are enough experts, the gain from being an expert disappears. Um, I think that's definitely becoming a trend as more experts are coming online and explaining uh, concepts that uh, the gain from being an expert disappears. And so uh, once, once that gain it disappears, then the margin on the, on the 
profits that they're making disappear. So everyone becomes an expert. Consider the strategy of lane changing. Other people are looking for a faster lane and the cars moving into the faster lane slow it down. Just as people moving into short line in a supermarket lengthen it. In equilibrium, all lanes are equally slow. And uh, yeah, during equilibrium, that's when uh, systems die, stock markets crash, uh, companies go out of businesses. When there's innovation or changes in occurring, uh, then things slow down. In picking your profession, it's not enough to ask which pays the most. The fact that one profession is better paid is evidence that it is less desirable in other ways. Riskier or more unpleasant or more expensive to get into. The right question is to ask is which profession you are particularly suited for in comparison to other people. Um, and uh, so then focusing on what you're strong at is critical. The, if the efficient markets hypothesis were true, investors would ignore information about firms that uh, would be do nothing to keep the market efficient. Actual stock prices must deviate from what the stock should be worth by just enough to make it worth somebody's time to figure out that they should be what what it, they should be worth and trade accordingly. And um, that is a, an interesting insight um, is that if, you know, if there is no profit that can be made, then uh, it would be a waste of time to try to, to invest and trade. And uh, the efficient, hypothe efficient market hypothesis stating that the investors are perfectly rational and they take into account all of the factors in their investments. But a lot of times that that's not true, that the investors are following herd mentality, they're watching the group behaviors, and, uh, and then with uh, AI, they're, they're looking at uh, different uh, energy changes, uh, physics is small, quantum uh, fluctuations are being analyzed, and and uh, in, a, in the model, and uh, computers are trading super fast at small, small trades. Uh, whereas if, if they, uh, since the market is not perfectly rational, there is opportunities to, um, to capitalize. We saw that with the uh, hedge funds where they identified that the uh, market interest rates were artificially low. They saw a gap. They knew that the banks were overextended, so they bet against the, the banks and then uh, through derivatives, and they ended up uh, capitalizing hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, so therefore, you can see that the market is not, uh, is not a, a, a perfectly efficient. And uh, you can... Um, and so what became a in 2008 became the competition between the banks and the hedge funds where the hedge funds realizing that uh, things were overvalued and a correction was coming uh, 
bet against the banks. The Economist expects people to figure out how to achieve their objectives, but it is not much concerned about how they do so. The evolutionary biologist expects genes, the fundamental units of heredity that control the construction of our bodies to construct animals whose structure and behaviors maximize their reproductive success. But it is not much concerned with the detailed uh, biochemical mechanisms by which the genes control the organisms. The logical structure of economics and biology are similar. Yeah, so and when you look at that, uh, the economics is looking at trends, high-level trends, but they really don't want to answer the questions about how these trends occur or why they occur or the mechanisms behind it. Just as an evolutionary process, like uh, if you study medicine, it's largely chemistry. Um, there is some discussion of biology, but it, everything is chemical. And so explaining the chemical reactions uh, that are causing different uh, symptoms is very uh, technical and painstaking, and lots of research goes into gathering all this information and trying to explain the trend in relationship to a process uh, is too too complex, and so there's a disconnect. And uh, it's easier to talk about a trend than to talk about the process. Most of us believe in our hearts that all we need, all any reasonable person needs, is a little more than we have. There are no needs, only wants. Nothing including life is infinitely valuable. We never have enough of everything and so must accept trade-offs among the different things we value, including life, love, and the most trivial pleasures. Value is revealed in action, not words. Action reveals performance. Again, like I said last week or last podcast is the machine learning uh, applications that move to production have to pass the uh, A-B test showing impact on the company. And uh, so they, you can run small campaigns to see what the if the model is accurately predicting. But in the end, um, even though a model might be perfectly predict in its predictions, it may not be actionable in its implementation because it might affect the business in a negative uh, negative manner. So, uh, again, this is a very great statement to, to govern your machine learning by. Value is revealed by action, not words. Action reveals preference. So, um, and the, so when, the, when a business uh, reviews the performance of a machine model, uh, it, its preferences, its its experience are all reflected in the um, actions that the machine learning model takes. Choice plays an important role in everyday life. For example, forcing a poor person to buy medical care could mean forcing them to starve or freeze. We do not usually make people better by reducing alternatives. On a large scale, when oil prices shot up in the early 1970s, Many argued Americans could continue to use as much gasoline as before at virtually any price. 
The reduced alternative meant walking or bicycle riding or moving closer to the place of work or buying more fuel-efficient vehicles or conserving uh, heating fuel and increasing insulation. The fundamental mistake is taking the pattern we observe around us as facts of nature. They are not. They are the result of rational beings adjusting to a particular set of constraints. Change the constraints, give a little time to adjust, the patterns change. <clears throat> and I think that was a really great insight. Change the constraints, give a little time to adjust, and the patterns change. And so adaptive biological-based systems are going to be uh, better in the future because those patterns are going to change as constraints change. Uh, if CO2 levels increase, then there will be increased taxation on the CO2. Uh, there will be uh, more of a burden on businesses that produce CO2 to lessen that amount. And, uh, and then so there will be changes in the patterns. Uh, maybe they'll move from coal-based uh, manufacturing production where coal is uh, driving, producing the energy to do the manufacturing to electricity or natural gas-based electricity. So those patterns uh, will change over time. And uh, adjusting our, uh, looking at a pattern and saying that that's a fact uh, is uh, probably in error because those patterns could change if the constraints change. We live in the middle of a very highly organized system with nobody in charge. Yes, everything's become decentralized. The Industrial Revolution uh, yielded to the knowledge-based revolution, and, and, and right now we have an, uh, the machine learning revolution where computer automation and decision-making is becoming a central part of the theme for our time. The central theory of economics is price theory, the explanation of how price coordinate economic activity Millions of people coordinate their activity without anyone in charge. Now, that's the beauty of the free market system. The free market system adjusts to the demand of the market and efficiently uh, allocates resources according to demand. Suppose a company builds a light bulb that lasts 10 times as long as the old bulb. If the new bulb is introduced, the company will only buy one-tenth as many bulbs. The mistake is assumption that the company will sell the new bulb at the same price as the old, old one. Consumers willing to buy the old bulb at $1 will be willing to buy the new one for about $10 each, reducing the bulb purchasing by one-tenth. Unless the new bulb costs at least 10 times as much as to produce as the old, costs are less than before and profits higher. So according to this, it would then make more sense to make more efficient, longer-lasting bulbs uh, because your profit margins would increase. It makes no sense to assume that the market price of goods remain the same. When you change its cost of production, its value to the potential customers, or both. Yeah, that, and so... Uh, margin the margin as things are higher value to a customer he's willing to pay a higher margin or higher price um, we saw in uh, when fuel costs increased that the cost of production increased 
and so the consumer products um, increased uh, in the store and it was passed on to the consumer. Now as fuel prices are decreasing, uh, I believe we're seeing more sales uh, where you're seeing stores offering products at a discount as markdown. Um, also, demand has decreased. Uh, people's income has been decreased because 22 million people have been out of a job. Th th those type of things uh, are impacting the economy, and so prices should adjust uh, either because the value to the customer has dropped or the cost of production has dropped. And that's one of the, the, the things about the best hard times is that during hard times, uh, as things are starting to deflate, production increases, becomes more efficient, so there's more uh, product inventory, and as there's more product inventory, supply is increased, so the price has to drop. And as prices drop, then the margin and profits drop, and uh, it's harder for these companies to pay back their debt. How much a consumer buys depends on his income and the prices of what he wants to buy. Again, that goes back to the value uh, and how much money he has. <clears throat> so if you, in the case of deflationary economics, the consumer doesn't have access to credit, so borrowing from the future to buy today is not available. So there's the cash is not available, so it's harder for him to buy. How much more how much producers can sell and at what price will affect how much labor they choose to hire and what wages they must pay to get it. The trade between consumer and producers determine market price and quantities. Price equals both the cost of reduction and the value to the user. Indifference curves help understanding of value. Two things have the same value. If gaining one and losing the other leaves neither better or worse, meaning we are indifferent between the situations before and after exchange. The value of goods depends not only on your preferences, but how much of the goods you have. The budget line helps us understand what we mean by price. Price is the amount of something that you must give up to get. Cost is an opportunity cost. The price is the slope of the budget line the rate at which you can trade one good for another while holding expenditures and thus the consumption of everything else constant. Value is the slope of the indifference curve, the rate in which you can trade one good for another while holding your welfare constant. The bundle you consume is the budget line tangent to the one of your indifference curves. Price equals value for a particular bundle that a rational individual chooses to consume. I found that interesting, the, the role between value and, uh, and price. Um, so as something is valued, it would mean that there, if you come in, for example, new products are released, let's say you have a new uh, AR, VR, augmented reality phone that comes onto the market, then if it has a new set of applications that haven't been used that are useful, consumer sees that, then the indifference between the old phone and the new phone would be greater, and so the value, uh, value line would change its slope 
and uh, the price would go up. What matters to you is what you consume. The tax subsidy combination looks like a wash. Since you are getting back just as much as you are paying, you pay taxes to pay the fund that subsidizes and receive a discount for the subsidized item purchased. The budget line for the non-subsidized is steeper. You must give up more of everything for the product you consume. Measured in money subsidies is a wash. Measured in human welfare, it is a net loss because it changes individuals' incentive in a way that makes every consumer worse. What we want is right incentives. Yeah, subsidies are never right incentives. Um, the, it'd be because they have to be repaid and, uh, and, and the person who has to repay it is the taxpayer. Equilibrium occurs when the losses from opponents who do not back own just balances the gain f- form uh, opponents who do make the alternative strategies hawk and dove, he-man and wimp equally profitable. Yeah, so that's that's equilibrium occurs when the losers and the winners are equal. Um, The objective of game theory is to solve a game, to figure out how the players out to play it. Its record records so far is one success and a few uh, very particular partial successes. The success is by Von Neumann, who found a solution for all two player fixed sum games such as chess or poker, where the interests of the players are diametrically opposed. If everything that benefits me hurts you and there is no third player for us to gang up against, then there's no room for threats or promises. So two-player fixed-sum games offer very little opportunity for strategic behavior. Uh, And machines have been really good in that two-game player uh, where they or multiplayer where they have penalties for wrong decisions and uh, rewards for right. And so they set up policies, which are basically goals for the machine to achieve. And then they run through simulations uh, of previous games played and they adjust their uh, penalty and reward systems. And then when they play against an actual new set of opponents, they do very well. So they, they do well in Go, they do well in chess, they do well in checkers. So any of these types of games where uh, there's a reward or a, or a penalty, um, the reinforcement learning does really well. Consider a many-player game over and over. Each player keeps changing his strategy until further change will make him uh, not make him better off. Equilibrium is reached when each player has chosen a strategy that is optimal for him, given the strategies the the other players are following. And that is the basis of reinforcement learning, is this conditional programming. It's kind of the next step um, in programming is conditional-based programming, where feedback systems then help the 
machine adjust its policies and then adjust strategies to achieve optimum performance. Equilibrium is reached at a density and price that satisfies two conditions. Marginal cost equals marginal revenue and economic profit e uh, equals zero. Each individual maximizes the profit given what other competitors are doing. Zero profit is the maximum profit an individual can get in a competitive industry. Cost equals marginal value. Any company can enter and products will differ substantially. Quantity demands uh, falls. If profits are positive, new industries enter in. If negative profits, some companies will exit. Um, yeah, so you want disc equilibrium in the marketplace and uh, um, each, each competitor in the marketplace is trying to maximize his profits against his competitors. And uh, so the cost equals the marginal revenue. And, and again, if you can reduce costs or keep costs low, then your margin, marginal revenues are high. And so you're trying to maximize those profits. And uh, um, as your competitor enters into the market, then the quantity for that product increases and the demand for it falls. And so then uh, there's less uh, opportunity for profits. The inability to control entry or unreasonable demands by some members of the cartel or covenant chiseling or the vigilant eye of the antitrust division of the Justice Department prevents firms from getting together to promote their mutual interest in high prices. Each firm sets price and quantity to maximize profits, given what other firms are doing. Nash equilibrium requires each player to pick his optimal strategy while taking the other player's strategy as given. When on firm changes its behavior, the other firm must change. Interdependence is the fact of the problem. And uh, why stock markets crash. One of the interesting principles behind uh, that book was that he was looking for companies that had barriers um, to their price so that other companies couldn't easily move in and compete against them, either due to regulation or uh, technical barriers. They had something that um, created a unique barrier that kept the price high. And, uh, and so... Um, another book I read said that usually there can only be three largest companies. So if, if you were looking at the retail, you would say Amazon, Walmart, and uh, maybe Target uh, might be your big three. And everyone else would be smaller. But those three big three would consume 80 to 90% of the market. Uh, and that's not considered a monopoly, interesting enough. Um, human beings choose how much is an opportunity worth. What are the benefits and losses associated with opportunity? When some, someone says a country would be better with fewer immigrants or more health care, what he's really claiming is a set of alternative, alternatives, avail, alternatives available to people after change would be more attractive than a set of alternatives before. If the marginal value of a commodity is high, you'll be willing to pay 
a higher price. Higher prices increase the supply and drives down the marginal value and thus the price. A consumer who buys a, quanti who buys a quantity such that the value of the last until is less than its price is throwing away his money. He should buy less. So basically, um, you don't want to overpay. So a rational consumer buys the quantity for which the marginal value equals price. The quantity he buys at a price is a point on his demand curve between supply and demand. There's no obvious value between price and value.